So yeah, we're, we're between two ages. We're part of the age to come. We're part of the kingdom now. But we're also asking for more. We're also saying, Lord, more of your kingdom. Come in all your fullness. Now for us as Christians, I believe it means that we rejoice with those, let's say, having babies. And then we weep with those. In our church in Liverpool, we've got um, two families who couldn't have children and they adopted. And they saw that as their way forward in faith, uh, their answer to prayer. We've got others in the church who are fostering. Uh, and then we've got others in the church who really felt that they had to keep hoping in God. And every month for five years, the wife would weep. Because once again, she hadn't had a baby. Her period had come. And she said there were times, she, she preached a couple of weeks ago, she said there were times she could hardly breathe. There was one month where her three best friends all told her she was pregnant. Uh, they were pregnant, sorry. And she rejoiced with them, but then wept on her uh, And thankfully now she She's got a little baby boy called Daniel. But it took them five years of weeping. And there are others who just keep weeping. And you think, will it ever end? I remember uh, when we were planting churches around Manchester, I had an amazing man of faith who uh, was about 50 years old. He was on sickness benefit because he had ulcerative colitis. And what had happened over a period of time He'd got more and more de-energized. Every morning he'd wake up and think, I've got no energy at all. And then uh, he got depressed. He was a physics teacher. He had a great job. He eventually couldn't do his job because he got so, so depressed. Uh, was on tablets all the time. And he came forward again and again and again for prayer, believed that God would heal him. And it just didn't happen. And you have to weep with those who weep as well as rejoice with those who rejoice. It's quite hard to do both, but we're called to do both. We care for the sick, Jesus says, and we heal the sick. We do both. It's quite confusing, actually, but actually just ask God to help you to be wise. It's really a tough road a tough race that we're in, and God's marked out the race for us. He hasn't made any mistakes in marking the race for us. So I, I feel that the main word really is persevere. Persevere, first of all, in following Jesus. In Matthew 10, it says this, You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. In this race, the most encouraging thing is to say, wow, I'm still going. I'm still following him. You may think, I, I, I had such dreams for God. I thought I was going to be the next Billy Graham. And it maybe hasn't quite happened for you. In fact, it's only happened for Billy Graham in reality. <laughs> He's the only Billy Graham. So, uh, and... And it can be so discouraging unless you keep rejoicing that you're saved. 
and being amazed that God would choose you and being amazed that he predestined you. God chose you and you're still following him. You will know if you've been walking or running this Christian race, you will know many who you thought were great Christians who aren't going on with God at all anymore. Now keep praying for them. Keep looking for opportunities maybe for them to come back and... Uh, but that warning to us of people who've fallen away should be a great rejoicing moment as we just ponder and think, wow, with all the things I've been through, I'm still yours, Lord. I still love you, Lord. I still trust you, Lord. I'm still following you, Lord. And this race is tough, but I'm not giving up. It's an amazing thing to ponder the fact that he's got hold of you and you're still going for him. There's so many times you want to give up. Even great men want to give up. Simon Peter, the greatest of the disciples, the most vocal of the disciples, the most animated, the one you'd probably enjoyed being around the most and probably be annoyed at the most. He was that kind of character. He had kind of bipolar uh, dimensions to him. I'm sure that's... Uh, Blasphemy in some way. You can correct it next week. Uh, so, but Simon Peter uh, was ready to give up. Jesus had warned him. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And I'm sure Simon's thinking, what do you mean my faith will not fail? I, I'm, I'm the one who walked on water briefly. I, I'm the one who uh, you know, saw you transform. Figured, I'm the one who, when everyone else stood back, I chopped off the servant's ear as uh, the Roman soldiers came forward and I thought they were more dangerous, so I went for the servant. He looked easier. Uh, I, I was the one, Lord. I did all that for you. Uh, but Jesus says he's praying for us. He doesn't stop praying for us. Those he chooses, he prays for. He keeps. Simon, you're going to deny me three times but your faith will not fail because I am praying for you. Strengthen your brothers. And that's the word Jesus, when he rises from the dead, he goes back to Simon Peter and says, do you love me, Simon? You know I love you, Lord. Back off. Do you love me, Simon? You know I do, Lord. Please don't keep asking me. It's annoying me. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. If you are doing well in the race, you will continue to think, how can I bless other Christians? How can I encourage other Christians to keep going? I'm still going, wow, but it's not enough for me to keep going. I want others in this race. Keep going, keep going. Don't stop, keep going. I know it's been hard. Keep going. So that's Jesus' word to Peter. But here's the great problem for Peter. He loved it being with Jesus. Three years with Jesus must have been overwhelmingly brilliant. But Jesus says, Peter, they're going to kill me. I'm going to leave you. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I gave up fishing for you, Lord. I gave up everything for you, Lord. What do you mean you're going to leave? You can't leave. That isn't part of the deal. I didn't sign up for following you and you leave. Jesus says, it's okay. I will not leave you as orphans. 
Such an important word. In John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And Peter's like, well, what do you mean? You, you die, you rise again. Even when he's risen, Peter's still not happy because Jesus actually leaves him, ascends into heaven. But Jesus, for those 40 days he was with them and appearing to them, kept teaching them about the kingdom of God. It's here, and I won't leave you as orphans. But Peter felt like he was an orphan. He felt like God wasn't with him. Why? He couldn't see Jesus right there in the boat or right there walking beside him. He couldn't see him anymore. And I think Peter struggled and struggled and struggled and was part of that upper room praying and then a mighty rushing wind came. Everything changed for Peter then. I believe he said, wow, you're here. You haven't left us as orphans. Wow, you're here. And Peter's the one. This discouraged disciple gets up and says, listen, he's here. He promised the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't leave us as orphans. And, it, and it's just as if Jesus was right here alongside us, except it's the Spirit of Christ who's come. The Spirit has come and it's going to be just as adventurous as it was when I could see Jesus in the boat. I can't see him, but he's here. Everything changed for Peter. He became mighty on the earth from that point forward. Because he believed at last that Jesus really hadn't left him as orphans. You are not alone. You might feel alone. You might feel, where, where is everybody? You're not alone. God's with you. He won't ever forsake you. The Spirit of God is ours. In this present evil age, the Spirit of the age to come has broken in on us. And we have to keep relying on him, looking to him for more of his presence among us. So I don't know if you've come across this book. I highly recommend it. It's by Simon Holly, Sustainable Power. And it's all about a church, uh, a New Frontiers church in Bedford. That was a good church. It started with 100 keenies, probably 200 keenies. So yeah, that's a good church plant uh, from Dave Devonish's church. Uh, so it started off like that, but it kind of plateaued. And what Simon says in his book is that when he looked at the church he led, he looked out and saw people who were faithful and who loved Jesus. But when he read the books of the library, is the way he puts it, he saw something else. He saw something dynamic. The books of the library talked about George Muller, looking after thousands of orphans in Bristol, or Smith Wigglesworth, seeing outrageous healings from Bradford and all around that area. Uh, and so he talks about the, the books in the library showed a different picture, and he said, I wanted my church to go from little expectation and hope to great expectation and hope. One of my favorite stories when we were in Manchester, we're in Liverpool now, uh, but there was a church there 
that started in 1927 called Bethshan Tabernacle. And the story of it is just an illustration of persevering and looking to God and uh, us being small but God being mighty. There were 40 believers in this church that's now called Bethshan Tabernacle. And they believed in the Spirit. They believed in Jesus being here. And they didn't even have a full-time pastor. Uh, the man who led them was a businessman, like yourself. He didn't do marathons like you, but he was called Nelson Parr. And he uh, led the 40 believers, and they felt we should invite Stephen Jeffries to come and do a crusade for us, even though we're small. So they write to Stephen Jeffries in 1927 and, and say, would you come and... and a healing crusade for us. Stephen Jeffries says, yes, I will, but there are conditions. Condition number one, uh, I will come in November, but you must give out 10,000 leaflets in that whole uh, Manchester area that you are part of, which is called Levensium. Uh, condition number two, we do 21 nights in a row. And condition number three, I've forgotten. Uh, it's gone out my mind. Uh, it'll come back to me, I'm sure. Uh, so there were these three conditions. The believer said, that's fine. Oh, you must hire the biggest building you can get. So they hired the Levensume Town Hall, 650-seater. Day one, November 1927, Stephen Jeffries is in the back room with Nelson Parr. They're praying, and Stephen Jeffries says to Nelson, how do the numbers look tonight, Nelson? Nelson looks out the door and goes, not Stephen. Just a few believers and a couple of visitors. They've hired the biggest building and they're rattling around in cold November. Day two, how do the numbers look? Every night, same thing. They prayed in the back room every night before the meeting. Stephen Jeffries would ask that question. How do the numbers look? Not very good, Stephen. Until day 10. Now you imagine, you've been led for 10 days by Bozo the leader who's got you in November in the biggest building you can get and you're rattling around. You're not really feeling the leadership skills of the leader. You're just not For nine days, you've, and you've already before this been out leafleting, freezing uh, yourself. On day 10, a lady in a wheelchair is carried up the left town hall steps, carried down on the other side, and at the end of the meeting she gets up in her wheelchair. Day 11, the place is packed. For 21 days, healing start happening, but they had to persevere for 10 days before. Why didn't Jesus heal someone on the first night? I don't know. God's God. We've just got to look to him, trust him, love him, and on a very difficult journey, keep trusting him, loving him. But at the end of 21 days, 500 people have been added to the 40. Nelson Parr gave up his business, and uh, they bought a plot of land in Levensume and built a thousand-seater tabernacle. Awesome. 70 years later, I met the daughter of Nelson Parr. Nelson had already gone to be with the Lord. The daughter was 10 at the time 
uh, that this all happened and she was well into her 80s. And uh, I said to Marjorie Parr, what's it like? And she said, well, once we built the building, every Sunday night we had a gospel meeting. And every Sunday night at the end of the me uh, my father's preach, he would line up the sick. And we were surprised when they weren't healed. I started weeping. I thought, I'm surprised when they are healed. That's such a different expectation, such different levels of faith. This book is how to get your church to go from a low expectation to a higher expectation. It's well worth reading, really faith-building. Uh, in the book, he tells of George Muller, one of the, the greats of the library. So uh, in Bristol, he's a German who moved to Bristol and by faith looked after 2,000 orphans. And uh, one morning, George Muller came down for breakfast, and this was in the early days when he only had 300 orphans to look after. Have you tried feeding 300? It's not easy. Uh, so he comes down for breakfast and he's told... There's no food. There's no milk for breakfast. This is his response. Let's gather all the orphans and let's see what our father will do. They gather. There's a knock at the door. The baker is at the door. He says, My, uh, I, I woke up at two in the morning and God told me I needed to bake bread for the orphans. So here you are. So they thank God. Then a few minutes later, there's another knock at the door. The milkman's cart, it was in the days of horse and carts, had broken before motor cars. Uh, the cart had broken. He had to offload all the milk because he had to mend the cart. And he said, could the orphans use some milk? Our God is a God who looks after the little details, the big details. We can trust him. Let's see what our father will do. If you know you're not an orphan and that you've got God, your father, and you're really trusting him, that's the right response. Wow, we're in a real predicament. Let's see what God will do. Let's see what our father will do. It's a wonderful, wonderful way of thinking. What's God going to do today? When believers gather together, what's God going to do? We need our expectations to go up. So persevere in your faith. Keep following. Persevere in trusting God. Expecting more from him. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. The two kind of go together. Just planning a church is attempting great things. Don't think it's a small thing to start another church that's lively and trusting God. The gates of hell will attack you. They will not prevail. They will not prevail. This is an amazing but it talks about perseverance in the Apostle Paul's life, who, if you look at his life, was a man who persevered and persevered right to the end. And the last we see of him, he's under house arrest in 
the end of Acts in Rome. But before that, he says this in 2 Corinthians 12. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, if you read any of Smith Wigglesworth books or any of those kind of evangelist healer type characters, and you, you think, wow, that's amazing. You don't think you have to persevere. You just don't think that way. You just think, wouldn't it be great to be Smith Wigglesworth? And it's just easy, and he, comes and he, he punches someone in the stomach, and stomach cancer disappears. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But actually, if you have any kind of Christian ministry, you're going to have to persevere. And for Paul, he said, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles. Why did he have to persevere? Well, this uh, verse comes in the context where he's just told us he asked for this messenger of Satan to be removed. He doesn't tell us what the messenger of Satan is, and God says no. When God says no, sometimes you think, oh, I feel like an orphan again. No, you're not. A good father says no. He's still for you. He knows what's best for you. Sometimes you will hear the, the word no. Jesus heard no. Father, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. Perseverance is required. It may be that Paul had to persevere because he was sick himself. When he's talking to the Galatians, he says, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. He says, see with what big letters I write. He, he signed the end of the letters. Other people seem to have written his letters, or some of them. Why was he writing so big? His eyesight was going. Smith Wigglesworth wasn't perfectly healthy, but he saw amazing healings. He had amazing faith, but he nearly died because he wouldn't let a, a doctor's knife touch him. I don't believe that personally. I think, let's thank God for the NHS. Go to the NHS, but let's also look to God. So Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Notice he didn't say a lot of wine. Quite helpful. Uh, but that's kind of medicine today. Water was not as... Uh, filtered as ours is today. So Paul encourages him. But Timothy wasn't instantly healed, it seems. And so, here's some advice. The alcohol will probably help you. Uh, it'll kill off some of the bugs. It says Trophimus was sick. It says Epaphroditus nearly died. Those are some of Paul's team who were sick and not instantly healed. You have to persevere in any Christian ministry, whatever you're doing. If it's the food bank, there are going to be days you think, oh, I don't want to do it. Whatever you're doing, if it's the kids on Sundays, there are Sundays you think, oh, not me on kids' work again. We have set up. When you're on set up, you think, oh, why am I on set up again? It's a great building. You probably don't have setup like we do. But whatever you endure in for Christ is worth doing. So persevere in signs and wonders. 
Persevere in praying for the sick to be healed. Paul did and didn't see everyone healed. And yet it says he saw extraordinary miracles. Even his apron and handkerchiefs were taken to the, the sick and they got well. So there are times where you see amazing things. There are times where you don't see your best friend Timothy healed. And you think, oh, what do I do? You keep trusting the one who loves us. You keep looking to him. So the next thing you need to know to persevere, I think, is this, is you need to face the facts. You see, some people decide to persevere by avoiding the facts. When I uh, went to a healing meeting at Bethshan Tabernacle, I was the person who took all the cards in, and uh, I was with the healing line, and I had to ask everyone, what do you want prayer for? And I'd write it down give it to the evangelist, he'd pray for the sick. And, and people were getting healed. And as one young lady, probably 20-year-old lady, came up in her wheelchair, I said, what do you want prayer for? And she said, nothing. I don't want anything. I said, oh, well, you're in the healing line. Why are you in the healing line? Uh, she said, I, well, I just wanted to see the evangelist. I said, I, well, my job is to find out what you'd like prayer for. What do you want prayed for? She said, nothing. I said, why are you in the healing line? She said, I want to see the evangelist. It was kind of a, a circle. And I said, well, why are you in the wheelchair? She said, I've been told by the doctors I've got muscular dystrophy, but I believe I've been healed. Now, here's a problem. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Someone had told her she was healed, that she believed she was healed, even though she was still in her wheelchair and had all the symptoms of muscular dystrophy. So I showed her this passage. Without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. You don't have to be double-minded and go, I, my body's still fine for having children. Abraham was nearly 100 years old at this stage and he faced the fact, if I'm going to have a baby, it's not because my body's in good shape or my wife's body's in good shape. Sarah was about 90. And God had promised them that they would have a, a miracle son. And that promise came true. But it's not wrong to face the fact. It says Abraham, without weakening in his faith, Face the fact. Face the facts. Be real. Don't be double-minded. If you're the muscular, muscular just looking to God for healing. But don't, don't pretend you've been healed if you haven't. And, and don't let other Christians try to put that on you. Because other Christians may say, well, if you've got real faith, you'll believe you're already healed. I don't think that's very helpful language, personally. I think it's much more helpful to say, I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to fast, I'm going to look to God for you, uh, but not to kind of make them feel like in any way they failed. So Abraham faces the fact, and he believes this, God had the power to do what he'd promised. Has God said something? If God said something, hang on to that. We've got a man who was told, you will not be here at Christmas in our church. 
And I felt God say, and I'm not sure this is God, but I felt God say, pray this, pray for 20 more strong years on the earth. So I tell him, that's what I'm praying for, that's what I'm believing God for. Uh, and, and he kept losing weight, kept losing weight, had stomach cancer, lung cancer, and esophageal cancer. And just was getting weaker, 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 weaker. And then about six weeks ago, he started gaining weight. Now, we don't think he's healed. We think uh, he's been having chemo. Uh, so we're, we're all praying. I'm fasting two days a week for him uh, and looking to God. But I'm hanging on to what I felt God give me to pray for him 20 more strong years on the earth. He's in his late 60s, so that'll take him into his late 80s. We can complain about that later if he wants to, when he's in his late 80s. So, uh, but we've got to face the fact. It's okay to go and have scans. It's okay to go back to the doctors. It's okay. Face the fact and then look to God again. When we face the fact, sometimes that can so disappoint us that we, we just refuse to be open to God again. Because when you face the fact, sometimes you think, well, actually, I'm facing the fact that I wasn't healed when I prayed for that, or that God said no in this area of my life. A loving father says no. There's a whole story in 2 Kings 4 where uh, there's a lady who couldn't have a child. Elisha the prophet comes. And she has a child. The child's quite young, grows up, has a headache, says to his father, my head hurts, and the child dies. And now the widow, uh, sorry, the, the woman whose uh, son has died is cross with Elijah, cross with God actually. And she says to Elisha, don't raise my hopes. There's something in us. When we get hurt, we protect ourselves and think, I'm never going to get hurt like that again. I, the girl who led me to the Lord in Florida went off with another guy six years later. I was so hurt going through a divorce in America that unless God tells me that's the person I'm going to marry. I was so hurt. And I put this kind of protection around me uh, and um, then this beautiful young uh, woman started coming to our church in Horsham in Sussex and started asking me why don't you ever ask anyone out and I said well I'm waiting for God to speak to me and she said oh you're just afraid of getting hurt because you've been through a divorce it was this woman here Charlotte over here <laughs> Uh, and, and it was absolutely true. I was afraid to be hurt again. Going through a divorce nearly killed me. I genuinely was briefly suicidal. I, I didn't want to go through that again. And uh, I, had to, I had to actually let my guard down and allow my hopes to be raised to actually say, will you go out with me? Because I didn't actually hear God say, she's the one you're going to marry. But God never told me to put that kind of force field around myself, hiding behind the God card. I'm not asking anyone because I'm hiding behind the God card. Don't play the God card. 
Hang on to things God has said to you. Do do that. But don't hide behind God if he hasn't spoken. God hadn't spoken, but I've put my own protection mechanism up. It's the same with healing. This lovely man with ulcerative colitis just kept coming forward every week for prayer. And every week collected his sickness benefit because he couldn't work anymore. And then I got this most wonderful phone call. He rang me, he said, I think I've been healed. Every day I'm waking up and I'm not rushing to the toilet with ulcerated colitis like I would normally do. I've got loads of energy. I don't feel depressed. What should I do? I said, go back to the doctor. Ask him about your medication. Should you keep taking the medicine? So he went back to the doctor. The doctor reduced his medication. And then the doctor actually signed him off from the NHS because the doctor considered him no longer having ulcerative colitis. Then he got a letter in the post saying, we're stopping your sickness benefit. And then he panicked. It's like, oh my word, I didn't think that was going to happen because he's, he's late 50s by this stage. He's had ulcerative colitis for nearly 10 years, been off work for nearly 10 years. Uh, but God helped him to trust in God and he started his own business, a, a B&B in Wales. So he moved to, from Manchester to Wales. But he just kept coming forward, kept raising his hopes, allowing God in, allowing God the opportunity. Now, please don't think you should always come forward. Please don't think you have to come forward every time someone says come forward. You don't. But if you want to, don't stay back. If you want prayer, get someone to pray for you, either where you are or do come forward. We have to allow our hopes to be raised or we stay at very low expectations. God does more the more we expect of him. In fact, more than we ask or imagine. If you imagine God doesn't do much, he tends not to do much. Even Jesus could do many miracles in Nazareth. Or Why? Was Jesus lacking in power? No. They didn't trust him. They didn't believe in him. This was the boy who'd grown up in their town. He's the carpenter's son. We're not going to him for anything. But anyone who did came, come to Jesus got healed. So even in unbelief, Nazareth, it says there were healings. There weren't many, but there were. It's an amazing thing to allow your hopes to be raised. I, I want to say this. Let, let's see what the Father will do today. What, what do you need from God? I, I can't promise he's going to give it to you. He may even say no. But we're not orphans. God's here. God's with us. God's helping us start another thriving church to touch this city. And you're part of that. That's huge. But he wants to help you on this very up and down, round corners journey that we're on. And he's marked out the race for us. So I'd love us to stand. Uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, and then I'd love to maybe get each of you to pray for each other. Let's pray. Father, we want to see what you're going to do today. We ask for your outbreak 
of the Spirit amongst us. We say, Jesus, you are so worthy. You're on your throne. The kingdom is here. We want more. More of you. More of your presence. Lord, we, we pray for more laborers to be gathered into this place to help us plant uh, a more and more uh, impacting church for this city. And, and Lord, such a church that will plant again and again and again. Lord, we ask for favor from heaven. We ask, Lord, even uh, now for words of knowledge. That What do you want to do? What We're saying, Father, what do you want to do amongst us today? So if you have words of knowledge, please come forward if you've got any prophetic words. One thing uh, I early on was when we were worshipping, I was watching James dancing, and he dances perfectly in time with the drum beat. And uh, so I, I just felt he's going to be a drummer, that he should have drum lessons, and that will be part of his joy. I don't know if he plays the drums already. There's electric ones hiding back there. They're not doing anything, I'm sure. They could be practiced on. But yes, yeah, so I want to pray for James. I'd love to uh, see that spirit of worship in, in the band uh, as, uh, through him as well as the others in the band already. Uh, so uh, do you feel God saying anything? Is there words of knowledge? Put your hand up if you have. Do come forward. You need to use that mic. I had this a few days ago, actually, but it ties in perfectly with something you've said. Um, my husband's restoring a very old 1977 camper van, and it doesn't matter what he does, it will never be perfectly new. Believe me, it really won't. <laughs> but um, even if he spent loads and loads of money on it, it still won't be new. It'll still be a 1977 old camper van. And um, I felt the Lord was saying, the old will be restored to new. And I thought, when the Lord restores something, it's not like that. He does restore to new. And I got this random verse, which I'd never really read, from Zechariah, um, Zechariah 9, verse 12. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. That's the New King James Version. But there's another version, the Amplified. Return to the stronghold of security, and prosperity, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will restore double your former prosperity to you. Thank you. Uh, so I've, I've got olive oil. It's ordinary olive oil, but it says anoint the sick with oil. I love to do that. If anyone would like prayer today, I'd like to do that. I'm going to hand it back to Keith. But anyone who'd like prayer for anything, please come forward and uh, I, I believe God will speak into your life this morning.